This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. Tuvia Tenenbaum tells unvarnished, uncomfortable truths. He challenges what you actually believe to be true, confronts what you think you believe in. Some Jewish people are scared by him. Some rant and threaten him back as a form of denial. Leadership runs from him. This is the taming of the Jew. It's not just a take on Shakespeare. The Jews that I found in, in Great Britain are amazing to me as they either deny or tolerate and sometimes join together forces with their accusers, with their haters. That was shocking. His latest book on the outward anti-Semitism he encountered while traveling the British Isles. And this is the story of two podcasts. I had the privilege of interviewing Tuvia face to face while the drama of his British writing project was unfolding in 2019. I firstly met him 48 hours after he'd got into a pub in Derry in Northern Ireland and coaxed afternoon drinkers into openly proclaiming that Hitler hadn't killed enough Jews and that they were the scourge of the earth. Scroll back to episode 12 to hear it for yourself. And courtesy of our mutual friend Nitzer Flus, I'd spent a rowdy Shabbat with him as he sung boisterous Zemirot songs at the Friday night dinner table. Tuvia is Israeli, a Talmud scholar who left B'nai Brak to take up secular academia in mathematics and the theatre. He loves the British art form and came here originally to write about it before encountering unpalatable hate which changed his project altogether. Masquerading as a German or even a Palestinian TV or newspaper journalist, Tuvia engages his interviewees into a safe space where they think they can talk about the Jewish people freely. Thinking his nationality is an invite, he gets a shock of responses. When he talks to lords and ladies and Jewish leadership, he's not impressed. It's frightening in your seat. And coming to our time, we are repeating the same mistake. We have Jewish leaders who refuse to talk, refuse to fight, and bow to the power of the big. And by that, he means some in the Haredi community actively courting former Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn and photographed by his side at public events. You might well ask why Tuvia's book's taken well over a year to be published in English in England. Well, no one was willing to take it on. It's been left to the Israeli publisher Geffen to do it in English for distribution across the USA and the UK. And you are doing, uh, with that Kodesh is saying, you're doing a holy job. I mean, it's like what you're doing is sacred. And, and, and I congratulate you Thank so you. much, Ronnie, for doing it. Thank you very much. It is, it is amazing uh, that you have come to the point that you can do it on your brothers and sisters and your brethren would not open a finger, you know. This time, social distancing meant we couldn't be together, so I tracked him down to Hamburg. We hit it off. This is Johnny Gould's Jewish State. For those who listen. For those who are willing to listen. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome back to Johnny Gould's Jewish State, Tuvia Tenenbaum. 
Hello, and it's sir. my absolute pleasure to be with you again, Johnny Gold. You know, you are a, a true free speech doyen. And for this particular podcast, I think it's uh, the first thing. The first thing ground rules is you can smoke. That's the first thing. Great. You are one of a kind. You're one in a billion. <laughs> Uh, and the second thing is, you truly opened my eyes to my own, I think, tolerance of uh, Jew hate when we first met two years ago. Thank you. Yeah. Because before that time, you know, I'd been conditioned, I think, in growing up in the UK in a school where there are only three Jewish kids to sort of tolerate the what they call politely banter but what um, you would call anti-Semitism. And it did overstretch itself from time to time. And I think that is a sort of, should we say looking for a better word, but but a word of jimitude, I think, from uh, a lot of British people. And I think that's what you shone a light on in this book, which is finally out in English. Exactly. That's why it's called the the taming of the Jew. It's not just a take on Shakespeare. It's, It's the taming of the Jew. I mean, the Jews that I found in in Great Britain are amazing to me as they either deny or tolerate and sometimes join together forces with their accusers, with their haters. That was shocking. I mean, the first shocking thing was to see this anti-Semitism in, in Britain. I didn't expect it. I went to Britain because I'm a theater person. I always love English theater. I said, okay, my publisher gives me an opportunity. I mean, says to go anywhere you want. What do you would like to go? I said, I'd like to go to Britain. I'd like to go. I, I like to see theater. <laughs> I mean, they know how to do it better than anybody else. That's what I remembered. And then there was Brexit. I said, okay, I'll see. I, you know, I killed two birds in one stone. With one stone. I didn't expect anti-Semitism. And I didn't expect such a contaminating, such a contagious, such a deep anti-Semitism. So deeply rooted you know, in uh, either Northern Ireland or in Scotland or in uh, England, which is the most important, of course, of the of the UK. But it was frightening to see it. And what is more frightening was to see that the Jews basically are kind of collaborating. Sometimes I had to fight Jewish leaders and say, like, hello, your people told me this and that. Your People told me, I interviewed people and they told me how horrible their life is, how horrible the things are. This is the common people. And it took time till they admitted. But when that gate opened, that dam opened, and they started talking honestly, they said to me, you know, how many times they are being told dirty Jew or, you know, four letters, all kinds of depletives. And, and, and it's like amazing how much I saw. And the little kids in Manchester, or the Hasidic kids, or the Orthodox kids in Manchester and London, who have had axe pelted at them, or little stones, or whatever it is. I mean, this is ridiculous. And we talk to Jewish leaders, they refuse to say it. Even on the times, they refuse to say anything against, while they were holding positions, they refused to say one word against Jeremy Corman. Only now, they beca- after, either after they left the position, you know, they became heroes and heroines saying that. Or when they realized that they are, not, they are going to be deselected, you know, in various labor, for example, you know, districts, you know, they are willing to say it. It, it was frightening to see that. 
One of the most disturbing aspects, I think, of British anti-Semitism, and this might go around the world as well, is that there is a sort of dog whistle, so that someone can maintain that, that they are not anti-Semitic. So someone who is an influencer on the extreme left and can say something, you know, assiduously, continuously, hard left, without referencing Jews, but then his followers can then dog whistle uh, a really serious anti-Semitic sort of betrayal of, of, of perhaps what they think themselves. I'm using the example of a very powerful voice, which is John Bishop, who has who has three and a half million followers. He prostrated himself in front of Ken Loach on Twitter. He said, you know, I'll think this man's of great integrity. It was as though he transferred the word, you know, Jeremy Corbyn for Ken Loach. Uh, I would kneel before him and then if I couldn't kneel anymore, I'd prostrate myself in front of him, which set off a huge torrent of Jew hate. And of course, he, a month ago on Holocaust Memorial Day, couldn't believe the terrible tragedies. And then this is where the problems lie. And that's an eye-opener, I think, for British Jews here. Yeah, I mean, it's like what is surprising, I mean, for the, the anti-Semites, I mean, this goes for Britain and that goes for other places, you know, that they talk very nicely about the dead Jews in World War Two. you know, they are such nice people, be-ba-boom, and so bad, and let's give some money to memorize them and and, 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 and and make an event, you know, maybe the, even in the eyes of Cummins, maybe whoever it is, make an event, you know, in, in a beautiful place, you know, to memorize those dead Jews. But the Jews, living Jews, you know, I mean, it's like, hello, let's, you know, just, yeah, there was horrible creatures on the planet. And of course, the code is Palestine, you know, the code is, is Palestinians. Um, um, by itself, you know, you know, if you care about the Palestinians, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't like Jews. You know, if you are critical of Israel, it doesn't mean that you are anti-Semites. But if you are critical only of Israel, and if the only people you care about are just the Palestinians, because you care about nobody else, you don't care about Muslims, you know, in China, who are being tortured by the million, you don't care about Syria, you don't care about Libya, you don't care about Lebanon, you don't care about, you don't even know what happens in Yemen. You, you, of course, you never heard about the war Chechnya and, and the slaughter happening there. You never heard about anything, only about the Palestinians. You know, there is a problem. Are you playing catch up with Johnny Gould's Jewish state? I've had the pleasure of some really great guests. How about Douglas Murray? Israel is a rare country in the West uh, in that it does buck many of the trends. I mean, there, isn't a, there isn't a fertility rate problem in, in Israel. Um, for instance, as there, there is in, in most European countries. There is a strong feeling of nationhood and of the depths that the country needs to call upon in order to unite its people. And Hillel Neuer, whose UN watch keeps check on the excesses and mission creep of the UN human rights in Geneva. The challenges are great. They're not going away. I am concerned by the cultural revolution that we've experienced in America in the past five years. The known to some of the woke revolution, where there's a kind of a McCarthyism. If you say something, it could be cancelled and fired from your university, from your corporation. 
uh, from uh, journalists, and often it's uh, it's an anti-liberalism. So that that, to be honest, really really scares me because we need our democracies to be healthy, to be honest, to be to be truth tellers. And so I am deeply concerned. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash Johnny Gould or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee. ko-fi.com slash Johnny Gould. And, and the interesting thing, when, when I went on the streets and, and I talked to the people and, and I tried to figure out why only this issue bothers you and no other issue, one of the things that I heard from people is, but, un, you know, underneath it, the other side, who is fighting the Palestinians? These are the Jews, not Israelis, the Jews. And the Jews are horrible people. Or some people would say something like, you know what, you are actually right. I don't know why I feel that. Why yeah. I feel about Palestinians and I don't feel about anybody else. I have to think about it. Yeah. I don't know who the Palestinians are. You know, it's like when I went to the street, we had like, I went with my, with my wife, Izzy, as you met somebody, and I went to take a crew with camera, sound, everything. And I go on the street and I, and I pick up on young people, young white folks, as I call them, you know, students. And, and I say, I, my name is Ahmad and I am from Palestine. Would you like to, I'm pointing the camera, at the video camera, and I say, would you like to say some words for the two months, brothers and sisters from Palestine? And yes, of course. I mean, you see these nice kids, you know, look like, Innocent and naive and studious and everything, yeah. well dressed. And the first thing is free Palestine. And then he apologizes that up to this day, he has not yet picked up arms to join the battle. And just like, it's like, you really think I'm Palestinian? You think everybody in my country, nobody looks like a Palestinian. So you don't even know how Palestinian looks like. Some people did not know the distance when I asked them this stupid question between Jerusalem and Palestine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that they know anything, really. It's just either consciously or subconsciously on the other side of our Jews. And that's the problem. The book is magnificent. And uh, I, am, <laughs> I am extremely privileged to have joined you in the middle, mittendrin, as we say, yeah, mittendrin, yeah. Uh, of, you, of you writing this book, formulating your ideas. I met you two days after you'd been into that Northern Irish pub in Londonderry amid the Republican uh, support, uh, Sky Sports on the TV with English football, uh, and them telling you that uh, Hitler hadn't done a good enough job in Europe uh, of killing all the Jews. You know, serious, horrible incident, which I had experienced before, actually, in my childhood, from that community I had. But there are interesting stories around your trip to Britain where you chased around Jeremy Bernard Corbyn uh, and finally got a, a picture with him. Tell us more. There is like, first of all, you know, I would like people to actually, I mean, the reason why I wrote the book 
Yeah. <laughs> it's because I want people to read it, obviously, and and it's very hard to make it on, in any in any way, you know, on a, on a YouTube or or whatever, on a clip, you know, to tell all the stories and and to tell what develops during this time. But there are of course a lot a lot of stories. I mean, I mean, when I saw when I, and uh, Jeremy Corbyn and he was in this Holocaust event, you know, you're protected by two people. Who made sure that nobody touches him? God forbid. Even when you went to the toilet, as there are two Hasidic Jews. Look who is protecting him. Oh, I mean, yeah, those guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I it's, it's, it's ridiculous what you have here. It's ridiculous what's happening there. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And the president of the the Jewish Board of Deputies, what's Mary Van Der Zyl? Mary Van Der Zyl, you know. She said to me, it's like I tried to interview her and then she said she will not give me an interview. And then I said, off the record, would you give me an interview? She said yes. And then she changed her mind and she said... I'm she going to quote from Tuvia's book directly. Marie van der Zyl, who I met personally, refused to grant me an interview. It's all too, quotes, sensitive, she told me. It's frightening in your seat. And coming to our time, we are repeating the same mistake. We have Jewish leaders who refuse to talk, refuse to fight, and bow to the power of the big. And it's frightening to see that. <sighs> That's life. And you are doing, uh, with that Kodesh as I say in Hebrew, you're doing a holy job. I mean, it's like what you're doing is sacred, and, and, and I congratulate you Thank so you. much for doing it. Thank you very much. It is it is amazing uh, that, that you have come to the point that you can do it on your brothers and sister and your brethren would not open a finger, you know. I can't not speak out. What I remember, I mean, it's like, you know, you're talking about the taming of the Jew, I call it, is here I, 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 I meet a, a lord in the house of lords, you know. I remember, I don't know these people from Adam. I don't even know who they are. I just like... I, I got lucky, I, you know, I got some way out to enter these places and just like interview people, you know, like that. And usually it does not happen. But uh, I stayed in a hotel right across uh, the, the parliament. And so I could see and so I could get slowly, slowly every day in coaching, you know, get to know more and more people. I had to sneak inside this sacred place of, of the British, you know, legal system and the, uh, the British government. And, and, and here's a guy, when I ask him, is it a lot from labor? And I ask him, for example, what do you think about all these stories you see in the media, in the, you know, about, about the anti-Semitism in your party, in the Labour Party? And, and his first answer to me was, if you are going on that path, if you want to talk politics, uh, this conversation is over. Right. I don't want to. So I changed my tactic, kind of, and I said, can you tell me what you personally feel about it? This is after he disclosed to me that he's a Jew. I didn't know it in the beginning, that he's Jewish. And, and he said to me, oh, if you ask me this question, he says, this I will answer. And then he answers, and he says to me, you know, I carry with me everywhere I go. I carry with me a bag. I take it with me always when I come to the House of Lords, when I get out of the House of Lords. When I leave the home, it's always there is a bag with me. Would you like to know what I have in the bag? I said, yes, of course I do. And he says, I'll tell you. I have one passport 
and 27 different currencies. Why do you need 27 different currencies and passport to work with? And he said to me, in case they expel me from this country, because he's a Jew. This is you as a guy who reached this high level of being a lord. This is the highest level other than being, you know, in the, in the British society, other than being a part of the monarchy, you know, and being a prince or whatever, you know. And Oduk, and this is the guy who actually succeeded. And look what he thinks of. At the moment that he became honest, but it, it took him quite some time to get there. He met a baroness in Oxford. We are sitting together. And I asked her if there is anything in life she regrets. She's Jewish. She said yes. There is one thing I regret. When she was 19 years old, she could have, at that time, moved to Israel. But she didn't. And she is in Britain now. And I said, excuse me, you are a baroness. What else do you want to have? You have been very, very successful, obviously, you know, in this country. And she looks at me and she says, this is an anti-Semitic country, don't you get it? So she could tell me in private after I gained her confidence. But before that, and the way she talked in public, she denied everything. It's shocking. I'm sitting in a... In, in Manchester, I went to a kosher pizza store. So you go there, and on we sit, have a pizza, a table next to us, mother, father, and his children, and their children. And I asked them, the parents, is there any ex- incidents of anti-Semitism in your area, in this Manchester? And they said, no. Have you heard of anything? No. Do you know of anything? No. And then I look at a son, one of the children, eight-year-old, is your father telling the truth of his father lying? And the guy says to me, the little kid, yes, he's lying. Just a few days ago, you were spelted with stones with X and called F-Jew, as he called it. You know, the Orthodox, they don't spell it out, the F-word. And you see this kind of things, and it's, you, always, you hear these stories. Going to Gateshead, going to see a bookstore. I said, okay, I want to see a bookstore. You know, it's Gateshead, it's one of the biggest yeshivas in the world, the most respectable yeshiva in Gateshead, you know, the Gateshead yeshiva in Europe, you know, of the Orthodox community. And you go, the shutters are down, there is no sign anywhere that it's a bookstore. And then they tell me that they can't do otherwise because otherwise the store will be vandalized. And I ask those Jews, then why are you living here? Say, because it's comfortable here. <laughs> Just like that. This is the uh, difficulty that uh, many Jews have here, and of course this is one of the only countries that was not affected by the European Holocaust, over and above the Battle of Britain, which, uh, and of course the Channel Islands invasion, yeah. which uh, did kill a few Jews at the hands of the Nazis, but mainly Russian soldiers. Uh, that there is a continuous Jewish community here apart from the ones that uh, came over in 1938, which is my family from Vienna, who don't understand, who feel five, six, seven generations in, maybe even longer if they're Sephardim, that it doesn't happen to them. And I feel that that's a curse too of maybe the Jews who vote Democrat in the United States, 
there is a long-range complacency which looks at Israel, particularly on the left, and says, well, we're comfortable. And they don't realize they're either apologists for what they experience, or indeed they have this, I'm going to use that word again, it's inappropriate, but it does describe it exactly, that jimitude, that idea that they've lived with it all their lives. It is part of their discourse. And, you know, they've always done done well in life and they've sent their kids to a better school than they went to, etc. Uh, and, uh, you know, this complacency throughout time has has cost the Jewish people in every country eventually that they've settled in. Yeah, but it's not just complacency. It's also the leaders who are, you know, the leaders of the Jewish community or Jews in high positions, you know, those who happen to be there, who refuse to tackle the, the issue, who refuse. I had, I had a big, basically a sh- almost a shouting match with Lord Levy. You know, who deny that there is any anti-Semitic thing, anything anywhere happening in the country. You know, of course, not Labour Party and Jeremy Corbyn. Of course, you cannot say they are anti-Semites. You know, there's, there's no way you can say that about Jeremy Corbyn. And when I asked him questions about people, I heard stories. He told me about this and about that. He, he denies it existed. And he just told me, you have to be very careful. He, he started this yelling at me, very careful to utter those things. I was like, hello? Hello? Mm-hmm. And then he just went, oh, you cannot put it in the book, our conversation, unless I approve it. I say, excuse me, he sends me an email. I said, excuse me, I ask you explicitly before, it's recorded, if you are allowing this, and you allow this, and it is going to be in the book. Yes. And he, he, started, he talked to his solicitors and they told him that if he took back the, the, the words, I cannot do it. I said to him, I'm sorry, I talked to my Jewish lawyers. <laughs> he has lawyers, I have lawyers too. What do you think? Is it because he's a rich guy, he can talk like this? Mm. I talked to my Jewish lawyers. <laughs> and they told me that according to the law in the United States, you know, <laughs> it is possible I can do it because you gave me a permission. And then he answers me back. Because, uh, this is a Jewish leader, because his solicitors told him, that because the conversation originated in the UK, UK law follows. I told him that my Jewish lawyers told me that because I can operate under the United States law, and this is something that contradicts the Constitution of the United States, what he says to me. And the way he's like, he knows what he says is not true. He knows this. That's why he tries to threaten me with his solicitors. And, I mean, you will see one Jewish person after the other just refuse. The chief rabbi of the UK refused to meet with me. And I wanted to meet with him because I interviewed people in Scotland and there was the story of the Church of Scotland with its famous um, report, the inheritance you know, of Abraham, in which they claim that religiously speaking, biblically speaking, the Jews are not special people, are not unique, and the state of Israel does not belong to the Jews. And then they said to me, oh, but the rabbi came to talk to us, so how can you say that we are doing anything wrong? So I wanted to ask the rabbi, explain to me to your position. And he refused to meet with me. Yes. Do you know what? With, with elected, with high level officials from the Church of Scotland, but I could not meet a Jewish rabbi. Yes. I mean, these people are hiding. They are hiding what happens. And that's that's one of the things that happened to us in the Holocaust. Everybody who studied this, you mm-hmm. know, that how our leaders 
did that. It's sad, but we have to remember where far it can go. One of the things I'll always remember in our interview, and it was it was only 25 minutes long, and we were just talking, as I say, in the wake of the Northern Ireland pub visit, was that you took me outside at the end, and we were in the West End of London, and you showed me a synagogue which was unmarked. And your conclusion uh, at the synagogue, which was unmarked, which you know looked like a beautiful building worth, I don't know, many millions of pounds, you know, there should be a mug in David outside, there should be an announcement that this is a synagogue, and there wasn't. Because if we don't stand up for ourselves, we face annihilation, which was uh, a graphic conclusion to actually, the, I think, the moral of, of this book to, to British Jews, and in fact, world Jews, perhaps in a community where we've uh, lived for, for a very long time. Can I just ask you, though, perhaps on a more emotive basis about schools? There is an argument not to mark a Jewish school, isn't there, Tuvia? I, I think that even here in Germany, with its bitter history, Jewish schools are still marked. Okay. Here I am in Hamburg, and it even says Talmud Torah. If we can do it in Hamburg, and we have a set of problems here, there is no reason why you shouldn't do it in London. I was in Marble Arch in a hotel, and I was, it was Friday afternoon, and I was sitting to smoke outside on a bench in front of my hotel, and I see a father, a religious person, with a yarmulke, and his son walking around with a piece of paper trying to find out something. Then I said, hello, I started speaking in Hebrew, because I heard them talking in Hebrew, I said, can I help you? And these guys do not carry phones on Shabbat, you know, and it was just before the, end of the Shabbat started, and they printed out directions. And I look at the directions they print out, and they say, there is a shul, there is a temple right here. And I'm saying, no, it's impossible. I am in this hotel for quite some time now, you know, and I never saw a synagogue here, hello. So I look at my, uh, my iPhone, and it says, yes, it's here, right? I mean, there is. So I was like trying to look and knocking on doors. To see where is the temple? There is a huge, big building in front of me with no sign, and this is a temple. I mean, it's like, you cannot have it. I mean, isn't this ridiculous? Hello, you are talking about center of London. We have two ideas in the center of London. I mean, where are we? And you know what? And if that is true, the Jewish schools in London or anywhere in Great Britain cannot be marked out of security, it's high noon, high time, that British Jews leave the country. That's all I can say. Tobias Tannenbaum, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Johnny. Have a wonderful day. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash johnnygould or click on the PayPal icon on the donations page at jewishstate.co.uk or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee at coffee.com slash johnnygould. That's ko-fi.com slash johnnygould.